Hey, yo, what's going on, Venom? Thank you for liking in again. This is Clarity with CK Podcast. And on today's episode, I have a special guest with whom I share one of my favorite topics, something that I talk about a lot on this podcast. Today, it's going to be a little bit different because I'm sitting down with Connie Elfson, an engineer, a professional organizer. Today, we're going to talk about organizing rather than a lot of minimalism and what I usually ramble about. Thank you, Connie, for coming on the show. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, TK. My work is mainly to do with preventing damage from stormwater. So I'm not so much on the water supply side, but okay. I live in Colorado in the middle of the U.S., sort of at the top of the watershed. And most of the Southwest, the water comes, starts in Colorado. Right. And we have to remember in our country that we're a United States. I hear people grumbling about how come Arizona gets all our water and, you know, stuff like that. It's like, we're the United States, so we have to share the water. I did hear recently that the city of Las Vegas had changed all their interchanges on the highway to native grass from bluegrass, which is the beautiful green grass that we all love to have, but it takes a ton of water. Right. And they were able to save millions and millions of gallons of water just with that one step. So it's probably going to be some measures in the very near future where we have to learn ways to get, get by with less water in our homes and public places like we can't have giant parks. I don't think I mentioned this when I was talking with you earlier, TK, but I also wrote two books about Xeriscape, which is low water landscaping. So it's a way to transform your landscape so it doesn't need as much water. And all the individual millions of homes using less water is going to make sure that it's more available for agriculture, which is, of course, the first priority. But there's lots of things you can do on the individual level and and the city level, state level, where you can conserve water and put it to the thing where we need the water the most. Oh, that's amazing. And that's a bit worrying, especially when you see this huge water crisis coming up. Back to our topic, Clear the Space. That's your book. What you do is help people, professionals, and busy people mostly organize their lives. How did you get into that? And how important it is, in your opinion, to master that life scope? Yes. I grew up living in an austerity that most people wouldn't believe is possible. And I didn't even realize it at the time. Like the first four years or so of my life, my mom, dad, and little sister eventually lived in a trailer that was a mobile home that was eight feet wide and 43 feet long. So that's 344 square feet. <laughs> you know, most tiny homes are even bigger than that. So right, right. I never did feel like it was very crowded. So I have to assume we didn't have much stuff. When I was four or five, we moved up to the big time with a 10 by 50 foot trailer. So we had 500 square feet. And my mom was always very good about decluttering. When we would move, we'd have to jump out. She called it, get rid of stuff we didn't need. Mm -hmm. So I sort of grew up that way, keeping my belongings to a minimum because I lived in 18 towns before I was 15. My dad worked for an oil company and we would move every six months to a year. So I was always looking forward to the next move before I would purchase anything as I got older or even it went into my early adult life. I was afraid of having too much stuff because then I knew the next move would come along and I'd have to transport all that stuff and shift it around. It was exhausting. So I learned to do with, with very little. And then as I tell the story in my book, I went off to college with everything I owned in my car, including a bicycle and some big speakers. I went from college to Denver that way, where, I, where I've lived ever since. And five years later, my husband at the time and I and our two little boys moved from the house that we lived in. It took me and five big guys four and a half hours to load everything into the truck and then an hour and a half to unload it. And I'm like, what happened? 
<laughs> been sort of downsizing ever since. And that was many years ago. Despite my engineering and sounds like a very technical background, but I'm very creative. And if I'm trying to do something creative, I'm literally paralyzed by clutter in my field of vision. So right, right. for me, it's not a matter of life and death, but it's a matter of what speaks to my soul is hampered with lots of extraneous things. When you get rid of the clutter, the stuff that you never use or love, you feel more powerful. You feel more focused because you're not being dragged down by these little things that are pulling at you. It's like they have a strings attached to your body and, and they keep you from moving as fast as you could or doing what you'd like to do. It's powerful. And also I wanted to explain that I'm, I'm not a superstar myself when it comes to that. Just the other night, I have a, a hall closet that started out very organized. And then over the course of years, as I was finishing this book and also focusing on my work as an engineer, it got very jumbled. And I left it mm. that way for about a year because I thought, I just don't have time mm. to do this. And what if I get into it and I can't even make it look any better than it is. So finally, the other night I decided I'm going to do it. I love to do it. Organizing is one of my favorite things to do. So I'm going to go in there and get that closet handled. And it took me an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. So I'm like, are you mm -hmm. kidding me? How many times have I kicked back with the movie or whatever on Friday night? That's much longer than that. And it's just, it's just silly how, how much we talk ourselves out of stuff and into things that it's very worth it. So now every time I look in that closet, I'm like, yeah, I feel strong. I feel powerful. The way I got into this was after 9-11, the work that I do, it's basically land development. So I get the grading drainage utilities all lined up for a new project, whether it's a new daycare center or a new hotel or, or even some new houses or whatever. But that work kind of dwindled after 9-11 because everybody mm. was very discouraged for a while. So in six years, I lost four jobs where... I was hired and then a big project would disappear and then I was laid off. And I mm. realized that I enjoyed tidying my desk up more than the engineering work. <laughs> so then I thought I would, I would get professional organizing a try. And I've learned a lot from each person. Every family is different. Every person is different right. on what kind of things they accumulate. And it's very rewarding to help them get back to their real selves and not with all this extra stuff. Interesting. I want to go a little bit against the current here. And this is one of the questions I never asked, but what's the good thing about clutter? We always ask the question, what's the bad side of having a lot of clutter around and, and, you know, just feeling overwhelmed with stuff, but what's so good about it? Well, it acts as a way for us to protect ourselves from stepping out of our comfort zone. If we feel slowed down and hampered, then we'll, we'll use it as an excuse to not live our lives to the fullest. But that's on the serious side, on the joking side. If you go into a house that has no clutter at all, like a, a model home, then it's very beautiful and you love it. You love walking through it, but you know that there's no human beings living there. If you find a friend whose house is kept that way, you wonder if they're robots. Yeah. Unless you're doing absolutely nothing except watching video games and TV all the time at your home, then you are creating some clutter. So it's a sign of life. Sometimes... If you are in the middle of a really big creative project and you're completely focused on that, mm. then you don't even see the clutter because you love it so much and you're really into it. Yeah. When I got done with my engineering projects and there was papers all over the place, reports I needed to file away, putting all that stuff away and getting it off my table was the best part of the job because I knew it was done and I'd accomplished something big. So it was rewarding. But the good thing about clutter is if having no clutter becomes the number one priority of your home and family, 
then you're just going to squash all the people in your house. You're going to make them feel like their interests aren't important and mm. they're probably going to not be there very long. They'll probably spend more time at their friend's house than at your house. If, you're, if your kids are always under the gun about keeping everything tidy all the time, they'll disappear and hang out with other families where things are a little more relaxed. So, so how do you handle that? How do I handle which part? The part where if you have kids, we have other family members, we yeah. have more clutter than you do. How do you go about selling them to declutter or to reduce the clutter that they have? It's a tricky conversation because like you yeah. said, it's personal stuff and usually there is an emotional side attached to it. Absolutely. Yeah. So there was an interesting study at UCLA where they discovered what moms have always known that men in general and older teenagers were more okay with having a bunch of stuff out in their field of vision than women. The women mm -hmm. tend to be bothered by it a bunch more. The best thing to do is start decluttering your own area, whatever that is. Everybody should have a place in the house that they can retreat to if possible and keep your own place tidy. It's also fun to make it into a game with the family. Parents maybe don't talk to their kids as much as they could because they think their kids don't want to hear about it or won't listen or will poo-poo them, but that's mm -hmm. the kid's job. So you can go ahead and talk with them about things as, as well, even if you, no matter what you think their response is going to be. But if everyone keeps the kitchen clean or the, the public areas, you can make sure that that's a priority and we have to adhere to that rule and they can keep the rooms however they like, but continue to work with them. And I read about one lady, one woman who with her, with her little children, she would make a fun event of it every single night of helping to put all their toys away. And she would talk with them as they, about their day. So she made it into a pleasant experience that happened every mm. single day. Interesting. And, okay. and as they grew up, they sort of kept that habit because it had been ingrained. The other thing is my number one decluttering tip is first declutter the guilts. So don't feel bad if your place is a wreck. Sometimes it's going to be that way in the flow of life. And don't feel bad if you're not perfect or you can't get the place cleaned up in 10 minutes when somebody's expected unexpectedly. So it's kind of a flow. It goes up and down, but you can also make it fun. Like everybody cleans up their room and then we go out for ice cream or whatever. Make it, right. make it into a game, which turns out to be a really important skill to have in business and in work later in life is whatever you can do to give yourself a fun challenge, not a brutal, you know, I've got to win. I'm, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> something oh, that's the way to yourself in a fun <laughs> way then is more likely to get done and become a habit. Right, right, right. It being a process is something I went through myself as a minimalist. Cause you know, when I got into it at first, I was like, I know I'm going to declutter everything right away. And that's how I started. So I started putting stuff up for sale, giving away stuff and everything. And I thought that within a week, maybe a month, uh, I would be done. But back to what you said, it took me, it's still taking me time until now. It's been over four years now, but mm -hmm. I'm still decluttering and I haven't bought anything. So I'm not decluttering the new stuff that I bought. I'm still oh. decluttering stuff that I have from back then. So right. to your point, decluttering the guilt is uh -huh. extremely important. Human beings like to, we like to acquire new things. And a lot of the things I talk about in my book go back to what I call K-person days or they're, they're sort of instinctive. One of the reasons why we might get some cherished optic as a gift or that we purchased ourselves because we love it. And then a day or five days later, we don't even notice this new wonderful thing because right. we're, we're hardwired to look out for danger. So we're always looking at what's new and different in our environment, not what's already there that we're used to. 
we've been somewhat hampered, like it's all their fault by the fact that we've had so many inexpensive, very cheaply made and brutally made items that we could acquire at a super cheap price. So yeah, let's, let's get it. Let's acquire it. And so you just have to be careful and think about what you're purchasing and maybe not give those sweatshops your vote by buying the cheaply made items. And then, like you said, it is a process. Don't feel bad that you haven't mastered it all in a month, as you said, because when you have something or you bought something, it's a little bit of a painful process to let go of anything, even something that's dumb that you never use, because there's something in our in our hardwiring again that likes to have things. So that's why some of the stores will make it so easy for you to use it, that use the computer or try it out or whatever, because as mm-hmm. soon as you touch it, then it's yours in your mind. And letting go of it is it creates a minor pain in your brain, like like a paper cut or a small burn. So it's, it is physically painful to go ahead and let go of something. But I also like to make the point that everybody, like I'm not a minimalist. I don't have a lot of stuff, but I'm not a minimalist. So I don't pare things down to the bone because I like having some creative artistic things in my field of vision. I like to inspire myself. So what I used to do with my clients was I had this book of decorating styles to the very barest minimum to extremely decorated like Victorian decor. And I would have them look through the book and say, which is, which one of these appeals to you? Cause I didn't want to be trying to talk them out of cherished objects because it didn't match my style of mm. how many things to have. Mm. So I just like to let people know that what's comfortable for them is, is up to them. It's not up to somebody else's outside idea of how much stuff to have. That basically goes both ways in a sense that it shouldn't be the bare minimum if that's not your comfort zone, but it shouldn't be the maximum because we live in a hyper-consumption society where the more you have, the more you want. That's something that I realized not too long ago. And the next thing is never going to be the one that's going to bring you the most happiness or fulfillment. Yeah, that's, if you can focus more on experiences versus obtaining things, and it, it takes a little bit of a as soon as you start doing that, where you're having fun with family and friends instead of going shopping or whatever, I went on a lot of trips when I was a girl. My mom always pushed me basically because all I wanted to do was sit in my room and read, but she would push me to go to Girl Scout camps. And I even went to Europe from Wyoming when I was 16 for three weeks. And I've never forgotten any of those trips. There was one that was a backpack trip that I talk about in my book that was a turning point in my life and in some funny ways. But it kind of led to this book. <laughs> but anyway, those things stick in my mind, but very few of the items from my childhood that I acquired do I remember. So it's crazy that you talked about backpacking and hiking in general, because I realized that as well. There are so many similarities because I grew up moving a lot. It wasn't six months, three years, it was usually every three to four years. But we moved a lot. We moved countries. So every time we had to move, we couldn't just rent a car and put our stuff in it. We had to take planes to literally move continents or countries. So it was a lot harder to get all our stuff with it. And when I moved on on my own, I sort of tried to compensate for not being able to hold on to things for as long as I wished back then. And that's something I understood later in life. But to go back to hiking and backpacking, I was doing this thing in 2017 or 2018. That's called one bag travel. And the idea was basically to fit everything into one backpack. And the more I went and I usually hike a lot, the more I realized like how little you need to actually be okay. Every time I go to the mountain to hike, I 
have a new memory and I have a new cherished memory. And so back to what you were saying, I couldn't agree more on the fact that experiences are far, far more fulfilling. The accumulation of good experiences has replaced like the accumulation of things, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, that's great. Why is it so hard for us to stay organized? I realize that most of the time it's just me saying, well, I'll do that later. You know, it's procrastination. But is there like more to it than just procrastination? Well, I, I heard a good line the other day. Nobody really knows why other people hold on to stuff. And as you just said, you're kind of fighting an ingrained, you're rebelling against your austere childhood of having to let go of almost everything yep. so many times. So now you want to, now you want to keep a hold of it. And it's also like, you can't eat right once and be in good health. It's right. an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. You can't clear out, you know, have a good cry about something, declutter some mental thing, and then you're good to go or exercise once and you're good. You know, it's an ongoing process because right. we're always being tempted by new things or there's something we'd rather do besides clean up, or maybe we have a, we have a bad association tidying up or whatever. Something is going on. People will give you a gift and you're not going to turn it down or you just see some amazing thing that you have to have and you know it's going to make your life better, even though the next day you've probably forgotten about it. So it's just an ongoing process. And my wise sister, she doesn't, she doesn't get very fired up, but she's, one time she said, yes, you can keep your house continuously tidy, but it takes constant vigilance. So <laughs> it does. Sometimes we're right. just not in the mood. True. Life happens and not to find an excuse, but the more time goes, the more we understand human behavior as well. And the more we understand human behavior, and I've had like a few neuroscientists and neuromarketers on this podcast before, and we talked about all the tricks they use and companies use to make us believe that we need that new shiny thing. There are so many techniques in human behavior and psychology that are used nowadays to make us want to purchase that new thing. So like you said, life happens. Sometimes you're not in the mood to get organized and sometimes you're just scrolling on the internet or you're just walking down the street and they found this new way to attract your iris and make you believe that you may need that new cup, although you have a dozen at home. The more we know about ourselves, the harder it is, it seems. <laughs> Well, one of the reasons I wrote the book is I realized that the rush that you get when you declutter, when you organize the closet or whatever, and you look back and you just feel, oh, it feels so good. Right. Those are endorphins. It's a chemical that's released in your body. Like when you eat some spicy food and it's, it's not painfully spicy, it's just a little bit over the top and your brain thinks you're getting burned. So it releases endorphins. And then a few minutes later, you're like, wow, that's some good chili. Because you just feel so good. Those are the endorphins and that's the rush right. that you get from decluttering. And, I, and then I realized one day that if you exercise for half an hour, they say sometimes you start to feel really good. That's the same endorphins. Hmm. So you're decluttering your body. And then I realized if you release some emotional block or pain, like you're, the simplest form is you're very upset about something and you go ahead and cry about it and then you feel better. It's the same rush. And I read a fascinating experiment by Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's a chiropractor and a neuroscientist. He was involved in the movie called What the Bleep Do We Know, which is about all the chemical things going on in our, in our bodies, the different emotions. But he said a group of about 120 people at a conference about in 2016, and he asked them to spend 10 minutes, three times a day, putting themselves in a high emotional state, like happiness, joy, love, gratitude. 
And then at the beginning and the end of the four days, he tested their saliva for immunoglobulin A, which is a protein that measures how good your immune system is. He tested these people for, it's called IgA. And after the four days of being happy 30 minutes a day, and they probably were happy more of the time because I'm sure they were enjoying the seminar, but their their immunoglobulin A was up an average of 50%. And he said, this is way more powerful than any flu shot or vitamin C or something that you take to boost your immune system. And it's all right in your own body and you have control over it. Do you know how you can control that though? Like how you can get into that state of elation or happiness or joy? How do you do that? Because sometimes for many people, when your job is not the most exciting part of your life, when you have a lot of things to do when you get home and whatnot, you do have the time to be happy. You just don't know what to be happy about. So did he like give any, any tips all that? Yeah, I do. Like, well, one of the things that there's a really cool book by a man named Michael Neal called Super Coach. And he talks about the power of thought. We think about so many things in the course of even a minute, so many different mm-hmm. subjects. All we have to do is latch on to one that makes us feel better. If we have some negative thought or worry or whatever, it isn't the first time you think that thought that does the damage to your mood. It's the 50th or the 500th time. So he calls it getting off the thought train. Just notice how you feel. And if you feel bad, then your thinking is not in a good direction. So switch that thinking or think about something that makes you laugh or (laughs) yeah, yeah, watch a cute, cute video of a puppy or whatever. And Dr. Dispenza describes a fascinating type of meditation he calls blessing the chakra energy centers. And you, you start with your, I even do it before I get up out of bed in the morning. So I don't sit in some position or whatever, but I, you imagine bringing in healing energy to the lowest level of your chakra, which is basically your spine. I don't know if you've heard of chakras, but they're from Indian concept, layers of energy that go up your body and that each one is associated with an organ of your body. So the lowest one is reproductive organs and then you move up to digestion and so forth. So you pretend like this healing energy is coming into your lowest chakra and you're just using your imagination. And then you move your way up to the next chakra, which is below your, just below your navel. And you pretend there's more healing energy coming into that area. Plus, you're also bringing all that other energy from the first one up your body as you go. And then you move up to the solar plexus, which is above your navel. And that's more of the digestion. So you're pretending all this stuff, this energy coming in and move up to the next level is your heart and then your throat and then the middle of your head and then the top of your head. So I'm feeling it right now because I practiced it eventually or before long, you can do it for a few minutes of each level, or you can just do it for a, a breath or two. And you'll start to feel better just from your imagination. And it's pretty weird, but you can turn it on anytime you want. But how do you keep the negative thoughts away or, you know, those very disruptive thoughts that come into your mind when you do such things? Because I tried, you know, meditation for some time. And yeah. one of the biggest struggles for most people who try meditation these thoughts uh-huh. that come into your mind. And I learned that you don't have to block them. You just have to let them go. So how can you get on the good thought chain? It, it just takes practice. And most of us, if we look around at our current second, the current minute, it's not that bad. In some cases, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But we're usually, we're thinking about the past or we're thinking about the future. And if you stop and look at the current moment, it's actually pretty good. One of the things that I described in my book, it's called 10 minute do nothing meditation where you sit in a chair or whatever, you can look out the window or I try to look at something that's sort of pretty. Like if I have a base of 
artificial daffodils. I look at that sometimes, your tulips, and then or I look out my window. So you don't try to think, you don't try to pray, you don't try to meditate, you don't try to do anything. You just sit there and get bored with yourself. And your higher self will start talking to you in a few minutes, or or maybe you'll remember something that was important that you almost you forgot to do and you get, kind of need to get that done. Basically, it's a it's a practice to come into the current moment. Most of us have a hard hard time doing that. The main thing is declutter the guilts. Don't feel bad because you're, you keep thinking these bad thoughts. And a lot of times I will wake up in a bad mood in the morning. When I remember my dreams, I think, dang, no wonder I feel like crap when I wake up. Right. So I'll, I'll do some tapping, the emotional freedom technique. I don't know if you've heard about that, but you tap on different parts of your, your face and then the side of your hand. It's kind of famous in the U.S. and worldwide, but it's a way to calm down your amygdala, the fight or flight part of your of your brain. So it does help you come into the present because you let go of all these hectic thoughts that are making you crazy. The funny part of it is like each of these points, you tap around the inside of your eyebrow, inside of your face. If you look at thetappingsolution.com or anywhere on YouTube, you'll see all kinds of videos about it. But all these points that you tap on around your face, like under your eye, under your nose, under your mouth, and then a couple under your collarbones, and then under your armpit, and then the top of your head. Those are basically the most of the points. Those are all endpoints of the meridians that they use in acupuncture. The funny part about tapping is you talk about the negative things. I hate that I'm in such a bad mood this morning. Why can't I wake up in a good mood? And you just like beat yourself up, just say all the negative things. So what you're doing is you're scrambling those things so that they don't keep circling around in a rut. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a super quick way to get yourself in a good mood. I can usually start feeling better in about five minutes. It's a wonderful technique for all kinds of mental and emotional pain and just trying to move yourself from cranky in the morning to happy in the morning. That's the other thing that's, that's interesting about humans is we tend to focus on whatever the one negative thing is. We have this incredible, incredible body that does so many things. Mm-hmm. Like it's doing 15,000 chemical reactions a second to keep us alive. And if somebody lives a hundred years, that's 52 million years, minutes in a row that this organism goes long yeah. in pretty good shape, you know, Yeah. but we got a little ache in our neck or whatever. So that's the thing we focus on. Mm. We don't acknowledge all the amazing things that are still going on in our life. It's pretty human nature. So there's lots of different ways to get yourself into a better mood. We just have to find one that works. And some people say, do we need another organizing book? Or do we need another book of inspiration or whatever? There's so many out there. And I just think as humans, we need to keep encouraging ourselves. And Mm. if if that means reading something new every day or whatever, then whatever it takes. Yeah, because we need remembering because humans have this this ability to forget. And it's a blessing Mm -hmm. and a curse. We forget a lot of things. And thank God we do, because otherwise we'd just be depressed all the time. You know what I mean? But again, it's also a curse because there are so many things like what we're talking about right here, what I've talked about with my therapist, what I talked about with my best friends, you know, solutions to make our lives better. But, you know, we forget or we just dismiss some solutions. So it's extremely important that there are books like yours and there are other books that are going to come out talking about these things in a different way, because those are reminders. And unless you read the same book every time you feel ill, which is hardly ever the case for people. We need new ways to see things and new perspectives. Right. There's always something that you can focus on that will cheer you up. And I'm enjoying seeing the fact that your hat matches your blanket (laughs) on your chair. Because I love colors. 
and I'm an artist. I started as an art major in college. So I just get a kick out of little tiny things. And you might look around your space and say, oh, it just looks like a wreck. But if you focus in on one little thing that's really pretty or well-balanced or whatever, then you can change your mood. Couldn't agree more. One of my favorite ways of expression is macro photography. And I love it so much because macro photography focuses, like you said, on the tiny stuff, on the tiny details. And it just shows you that there is life everywhere you look, even if you don't see. And that's one of my favorite things to, you know, do and look at. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great tip actually to just focus. So you're, you're talking about and thinking about one of your favorite things to do and your eyes just lit up and your whole face lit up with happiness. (laughs) Just thinking about it, not even doing it. So that's the kind of thing that people can do for themselves. And when you declutter your environment, you can spend a lot more time on those. So instead of just checking off how many glasses of water you drank today or whatever today, did I spend 15 or 20 minutes? Can you check off? I spent 15 or 20 minutes on my needlepoint or my photography or whatever. And that will enrich your life more than some of these other things that you like to keep track of. So 100%. decluttering everything around you that you can and remembering that it is process, you know, not going to get to the final stage. True. We were always going to gather stuff. And back to your point, once again, you don't declutter to declutter. You do it to make space for better things right. in your life, right? I know that it's pretty logical. But when we talk about decluttering most of the time, we kind of leave it to the side because it just seems so natural. Of course, if you were decluttering, you're making space for new things, but we don't talk about it enough because for most people, it goes without saying. But the reality is just like books and why do we need a new book about this topic? We need to remember these things. It's not because we inherently know that, of course, if there is more space, then there are more ways to grow and whatnot. We have to remind ourselves of these things. When you declutter and organize it, it's like transformation. And it's much less expensive than remodeling your home. Everybody loves to watch remodeling your home shows. But you can, because it's taking what was ugly before and turning it into something beautiful. Mm. And you can do that with decluttering your space or, or your, even your emotions and your body is, it's always happy when you take good care of it. So Mm. I wrote the book to say, you don't have to just start with your stuff. In fact, I was the same way. I'd get this new book and I'd be all excited. This is going to transform my life. And then I'd do it to about 90% and then I'd stop. Mm. So what was going on there? I finally figured out there was an emotional block. So that's why I wrote the book because some people, not everybody wants to just downsize and declutter one more, one more round. They want to, like they tried it before and it didn't, didn't actually change a lot. So maybe if there's something else going on, you might start in a different place. So your book tackles that side of the equation basically? Yes. You can start with your emotions or you could start even with your physical body. Mm-hmm. It's when you start moving more, getting more exercise, and you're going to feel more like doing the work, drudgery of, of decluttering ties into each other. All of it does. Like all of these topics, we've touched on so many different things, but uh-huh. at the end of it, the end result is personal well-being. That's all it is. We're talking about decluttering. You gave me so many tips about, you know, the chakras and all of these 10 minutes of boredom to refine the center of yourself and recenter your thoughts and just be in tune with your own personal feelings. All of it goes back to finding ways to be in a good state in a world where everything is going faster. We have less time to focus on ourselves. We have less time to pay attention to how we consume as well. I just wrapped up an episode about hyperconsumption and all the things that come with it, the emotional baggage that comes with it. 
that's something that we don't talk about because the physical one is and it's it the most visible. Right. I'm really glad that we touched on everything that we touched on today. And thank I'm you. super happy to have spoken to you. Oh, thank you for that. And thank you for coming on again. You're welcome. I like to say that the stuff clutter is usually the tip of the iceberg. The emotional one is much bigger. So yes. when you can tackle that, then everything else kind of gets a lot smoother. A hundred percent. Well, very, very well said. Tell me, where can people find you and how can they reach out to you? My website is clearthisface.com. And the book is called Clear This Face, Feel the Rush, Declutter Body, Mind, and Stuff. And we just changed the subtitle to, to Reclaim Fun, Freedom, and Energy. Mm. So it's available as an ebook on Amazon right now. And the paperback copies can be purchased from the website. Or if you're willing to give a review, you can get a free review copy from the website. So right. clearthespace.com. Perfect. Well, there you have it, folks. You'll find the link to the website in the description below. Thank you, Connie, for coming on the show again. I truly appreciate it. And I've had a great time and I've learned so much. So um, Good. God great. Bless. Thank you so much, TK. Oh, Good fun too. There you have it. Thank okay. you. There you have it, folks. Another episode of Clarity with TK Podcast. And until next time, peace.